Hey, good morning. Hey, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Exodus chapter 24. And uh, that's where we'll be, Exodus chapter 24. Hey, last week we actually read through uh, verse 11, but um, I didn't really get to elaborate on that. So that, that's going to be the transition verse, okay, as we go through to the end of chapter 24. So we're going to kind of pick up on that, and we're just going to kind of roll over into the next verse, and you'll, you'll, you'll understand the significance of it uh, once we get into that. And so I know you guys... Uh, lost an hour of sleep last night. <laughs> so I will not torture you beyond two hours. And uh, so just, just bear with me this morning. Hey, Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24, 9 through 18. Okay, this is what the scripture says. Okay, we're going to read this. It says, Moses and Aaron. Here, let, let, me, let me say, remember, God had called Moses and them up, right, in chapter 24. And they had already consummated uh, the covenant. Remember, the shedding of the blood, uh, the splattering of the blood on the altar, the, the spreading of the blood or the sprinkling of the blood upon the people. And the covenant, there was a, an exchanging of vows in a sense. And there was a, uh, a receiving and an acknowledgement of that. And so they kind of, in a sense, consummated uh, the, the covenant and uh, God has, has called them up to the mountain God not only calls Moses but he calls Aaron, Aaron's two sons and 70 elders so uh, now we understand the covenant's been made there's a, a, an invitation by God to an additional amount of people to approach the mountain which had been off limits up to that point and so God uh, calls them forward we're actually going to pick up right there okay and there's just some things I think is very, very important uh, for you and I uh, to understand. And this is what it says. Moses and Aaron, Aaron being the brother of Moses, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, which is basically uh, sapphire. The, I, I mentioned this last week. Uh, the sky stone, it's a rich blue stone. Now that's significant, and significant, and you'll find it. We'll touch on that in a few minutes. And it says, as bright blue as the sky, but God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God, and they ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you tablets of stone with the law and the commandments I had written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. Now, that's a little an odd turn now. There's a second guy leaving the 70, right, to go on up with Moses. Kind of a different turn. And it says, he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you, and anyone involved in a, in a dispute can go to them. Now, I'm just going to stop right there. You're right here in this, in this transition, this powerful uh, moment within the, the life of the nation of Israel and God showing himself in a powerful way. And what does God say or speak into the heart of Moses that Moses then relays to the people, the 70 elders or 70 leaders? He literally says to them at this, at this moment, out of anticipation, because he knows these cats. Right? He knows these jokers. And he says this to them. Right? 
He says, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you, and, and anyone involved in the dispute can go to them. Isn't that a funny thing? Right here in the middle of all this, because he knows how these jokers are wired. He anticipates a dispute taking place prior to him coming back. And he says, I've left a couple of guys, Aaron and her, here with you to resolve any disputes that might arise. As a matter of fact, when they arise kind of thing. You know what I'm talking about? I'll leave it there, but that's something we need to consider that uh, that was in the hearts right there. I mean, brewing, man. You knew this. They was, why did he know that? Because it had happened before. It had happened. History kind of is a, 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 a foreteller and predictor of the future, right? And, and so Moses said, this is in these jokers. I'm anticipating it happens. And guess what? He was right. He was right. And then the scripture says this. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain. And on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the mountain, or within the cloud. To the Israelites the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire, right, on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went on up the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Amen? All right, Father, in Jesus' name, we are gathered here. We're working our way through your word and your scripture. We want to see and understand things. We want to be changed. But for me, Lord, one of my, one of my desires this morning is that I would not impede, hinder, become a barrier to those that are hearing your word this morning, that I might not speak anything, Lord, that's not led by your spirit, uh, understanding your word, Lord, this morning. I do not want to be become a stumbling block to anyone. So, Father, uh, speak through uh, the lips of a simple man trying to convey a divine message in a simple way. It's in the name of Jesus I pray and I ask these things. Amen. Amen. Okay, hey, hey, let's look at verse 11 because that's, the, that's where we're going to actually pick up and transition. This is very, very important, okay, because I think this is where most of us live. Most of us kind of live in this type of a, an arrangement with God in a sense. It says, but God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God. They saw God, and we talked about that last week, what that actually meant and so forth. And they ate and drank. You have literally in this moment like two polar opposite experiences, right? And these are experiences that you and I share to some degree along with the Israelites. Meaning they have an encounter with God where they see God, they experience God. Now that's one of those things, that's a high place thing. You know, that's one of those high place type of experiences. And the reality that you and I both know is that we don't typically live in the high places. No, no. But what happens here is there's a merger between a high place experience and then a mundane everyday occurrence of eating and drinking. And so somewhere 
in the midst of all that, we've got to be able to navigate and understand that we don't always live in the high places, but by invitation to God, He is willing to come into the mundane moments of our lives because the reality is that we live in a nominal uh, or a life of, of nominal type activity, normal stuff. I mean, washing of dishes, vacuuming of floors, cleaning of clothes. That's where we live. We live in that type of place. But I, I think it was Mother Teresa of Calcutta said, even in the simple things like washing dishes, we need to keep in mind the love that we have for the individual who's going to be eating off that dish. And allow God to come into the mundane things and show himself. Why is that? Why is that? Because that's where we live. Of course we come into church and we worship together. And it's a glorious moment. Of course we come into church and we open his word. And it's a glorious moment most of the time. That was a joke, but we'll move on. Of course we, but we're only here for a few hours. And to think that this is going to be enough substance to secure your passage through another week until you can refuel the next Sunday is a ludicrous and ridiculous notion. And so since we only live in this experience for just a matter of a few hours a week, and the remainder of the week is the mundane responsibility of, of living out our lives. We must be looking to invite God into those mundane moments. If we do not invite God into the mundane, we will not be experiencing God simply because that's where we live. Okay, um, I'm going to try to navigate this um, without robbing anybody. Uh, last Friday, uh, we were hit with some really heavy storms, right? And, and it wasn't even really storms. It was wind, you know? I mean, we all were underneath the, the, the winds, and we all suffered to some degree some damage, uh, trees down, shingles missing. Uh, we, we all experienced that to, to some degree. Well, uh, we were checking on one another and everyone in the church was communicating. We were trying to touch base with people, wanting to know, hey, how's everyone doing and whatnot. And then Miss Kathy, and I don't want to embarrass Miss Kathy, I'm just going to put it out there. Miss Kathy had put on the Facebook page, she had suffered some uh, damage to her fence. One, She's got a couple of dogs, one, and Miss Kathy couldn't go out there and fix the fence and whatnot. Now listen, there's not a whole lot I can do, Jack, but I can dig a post hole and pour some concrete, right? So I go over to Miss Kathy's, and me and Miss Kathy, we're, we're like Bob the Builder kind of thing. We're assessing the condition. We've got paper. We've got pen. We're writing down materials, just exactly what we're going to need to remedy this situation. And I told Miss Kathy, because Miss Kathy was worried. And I said, Miss Kathy, just let this go. And just trust me, it's as good as done. It's as good as done. And so uh, I'm standing there, and I call one of my brothers. All right? Miss Kathy's standing there. And I'm talking to one of my brothers, and I said to him, now this is the supernatural. This is one of those moments where God was working in a supernatural way, and it just kind of fused into the mundane. I told him, I, I was talking to Miss Kathy about the price of the materials, and what I, labor would be free, the price might be this, that, or another. And so I called my, my, my brother, 
And I said, this is, this is what's, what's going on over here. We're going to set up some time where uh, me and a couple, two or three other guys will come over here and we'll knock this thing out for Miss Kathy. And I remember talking to Miss Kathy and she was asking me about what's it going to cost. And I said to Miss Kathy, I said, Miss Kathy, it's already been paid for. It's already been paid for. This is the supernatural component, okay? This is the high place moment. A gentleman comes up to me, my brother, Augustine comes up to me in our small group on a Thursday night. They were leaving. They are fixing to go home. He comes up to me out of the blue. You guys know how this happens. It happens all the time over here. It's kind of crazy, right? This stuff is kind of crazy. These, listen, we don't live there all the time, but I'm telling you the frequency in which the high places present themselves within this body is a little bit out of uh, balance with most people's experiences. It seems to happen with a greater frequency. It just seems to happen that way. But yet the mundane still outweighs the high place. A gentleman comes up to me, him and his wife, they were leaving our small group. They walk up to me, and they, they pull out an envelope. Slap that envelope in my hand. I'm okay, brother, you know. I don't know, bag of rice. I don't know what's in the envelope. Hey, man, love you, bless you. He said, hey, we, we love you. We love the church. I'm like, hey, love you back, brother. Be safe going home. Why not? He leaves. Got this envelope. I said, I don't know what this envelope is. Cut open the envelope, looking at $800 cash. Okay, so I give him a call. I say, hey, man, um, you may have given me the wrong envelope. You know what I'm talking about? I didn't, I, you know, I don't know. Was this going to Xfinity or Comcast? I don't know. You, maybe be, he said, no, no, no. He said, we, we just want to give. And he said, use that as the Lord leads you to use it. We just want to be a blessing. Miss Kathy has a need. And I said, Miss Kathy, the high place that's already taken care of the need, it's already been presented. It's already there. All right? So we go over there, and we start digging holes. Well, I'm just going to be honest with you. I go in the first day. I had multiple guys say to me, hey, we'll come over there and help. I said, no, no. I said, I'll just dig the holes. I'll set the post. I'll get them leveled, everything. And uh, when we get ready to put the fence, I'll, I'll call you. And Yeah, mistake, right? Wind, yeah, wind was a little stronger than Mr. Trent anticipated. Well, I get over there, I got an eight-inch auger, right? And I'm just going to dig up these holes about three foot deep, whatnot. And, uh, and I'm going to have these holes dug in probably 30 minutes. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let Miss Kathy know how easy it was. I'm going to go in there, you know, pour water on my face. I got to really put in some time. You know, I'm going to really play it up. I get out there, I'm pulling that auger. Ronnie, it was Ronnie's auger. He was probably laughing when I came and borrowed it. I pulled, it, I pulled on that auger for 45 minutes. Ronnie wasn't there, so I threw his auger down. I kid you not, I was like, man, that auger. That, I was about to cipher my gas back out of that auger. And, and, and so, guess what, brother? It was all about the post hole digger at that point. And all I had to give Miss Kathy at that point was a little bit of elbow grease and a whole lot of love that looked like a post hole digger. And I took that post hole, and I'm telling you, by the grace of God, and God knows this to be the case, with my worship music playing, I turned that post hole digging, the mundane. I turned it into a high place because I invited them into that. Augustine, I just started digging holes, man. And I'm telling you, every time that, that post hole digger struck that ground and dirt came out, man, I was just thankful that God had given me the constitution and the ability or whatever else to do that. 
Story don't end there. My brother Danny comes over, brings me more stuff that was needed for the job. All I had to do was call him and say, hey, and the love of God all of a sudden through my brother Danny expresses itself in the mundane. Here it is, and I'm witnessing his generosity of his time and his efforts and whatnot to be a help to his sister. The next day, I've, I done called in two guys to help me put up the fence. One guy's bike is about as good as my bike. <laughs> Dennis comes over, suffered. He's, he's been under, had a lot of back issues. He's really wrestled with his health and whatnot. Then he said, I want to come over and help. I say, hey, man, I'll be over there at this time. And the other guy calls me. Kevin Capel. Kevin Capel calls me. I'm talking about a man who was dead three months ago. Four months. I'm talking literally dead four months ago. A man whose heart had stopped beating on two different occasions had to be resuscitated. A man who was basically at death's door, man. And they come out there and they're doing everything they can do. And we're digging holes, we're setting up fence, we're... And I couldn't help, I couldn't help, but in that moment, see the love of Jesus in Dennis working through... I could see it on his face. The pain, the discomfort of lifting, though his back was compromised, I could see it. And Kevin on the other end of the fence, the other side of the fence, driving in screws, securing the fence. This was a, this is a dead man. And in the mundane, I witnessed in these two gentlemen the generosity and the love of Jesus, not to love Trent, but to love their sister, Kathy. And listen, we get finished. We get finished. And they'll tell you, I say, hey, Jim, come, come here a second. Let's just grab hands. And let's just give thanks to God that he's given us this opportunity to love on our sister. And he's given us the health, whether limited or not, to accomplish what was needed for our sister. And in that moment, in the midst of the mundane of digging holes, moving dirt, pouring concrete, driving screws, God is invited into the backyard of Kathy Hicks in the center, and we begin to pray, and you begin to experience God's goodness and his presence right there in the mundane. In the mundane. We didn't have to go to the high place. The high place came to us. God came to us. He came amongst us eating and drinking. Let me encourage you with this, Danny, at AutoZone. When you're waiting on the guy that's done got on your last nerve, he's done called you and complained five times and he comes in there and you show mercy and you show kindness and you extend yourself beyond your own limits through God's love. What you are doing in the mundane of exchanging at a retail uh, auto supply store, what you're doing in the mundane is you're literally through the invitation of God flowing through you into them. All of a sudden, the mundane becomes something very similar to a high place. Just because we've invited them into that and wanted to express his love. 
So I want to encourage each and every one of you, when you find yourself, Billy, listen, I could go on and on, man. Billy was just telling me the other night he was over the house Friday night. Said he'd gone to do some work for a, a lady. He had to put on a, what would you put on, a capacitor or something uh, for heating and cooling system. Or primarily, I'm assuming her heating. And the woman asked him after he had done it, you know, what do I owe you? Now the generosity of God's spirit is love to serve and his willingness to give. He said, you don't owe me anything. Wanting to honor God and be generous. And you know what happens in that room? In that mundane moment? You think that was the first time he had done that that week? You think that was the first time he had worked on heating and cooling that week? Of course not. He'd been doing it every day. But in that moment, in that house, in, the, in that, in that uh, uh, furnace closet, all of a sudden the mundane becomes a high place. And the little old lady said, can I pay you in some collard greens? Did she, Billy? So turn it. He said, man, she gave me a bag full of greens. said, I can't eat all of them. I was going to say, well, bring one to my house. I'll feast off your high place. Bring me it. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm saying, man, we got to open ourselves up. We got to open up. We can't go out chasing down high places. We can't go looking for that. Man, just invite God in to your everyday life, man, into the classroom. Make your classroom a high place. You know what I'm talking about? Make the ball field a high place. Make the realty shop a high place. Make the coffee house a high place. Wherever you're at, whatever business you're doing, whatever activity, make the kitchen a high place. We ain't got a chance in the world getting through his scripture this morning. No, we don't. The Lord said to Moses... Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments I have written for their instruction. Now, this is really important because the scripture says, now, remember, there's 73 people up here on this mountain, right? And now God speaks directly to Moses. The question then becomes, does anyone else hear this? I would, I would, I, I would uh, submit to you, no. The scripture says he spoke to Moses. And I believe in that moment there was a conversation, there was an exchange between him and Moses. And let me tell you, there will be times that people will hear from God and you won't. And don't be too quick to condemn them when they begin to move on what God has told them because God hadn't told you anything yet. Right? And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Moses has spoken to. Guess who then is responsible to come up? Well, who did he say to come up? Moses. He spoke to Moses. Moses hears him. Once we hear God, then we become culpable, right? We become responsible to respond to God. The other 70 aren't responsible. 
Aaron and his boys aren't responsible. Moses is responsible. I can imagine at that moment having led them up onto a mountain to a certain degree which had been off limits to the extent there was a penalty of death had they encroached that spot. All of a sudden, Moses comes back to them and says to them, I'm moving on up. You guys stay here. Now we're being left in a place that had been off limits that was basically a place where my life would end if I encroached upon this area. Moses leaves. They have to trust Moses that Moses has heard from God. Because you know they put a great deal of weight in the words of Moses. That's the only reason they approached the mountain to begin with. was because God had told Moses these men could come. You can imagine in that moment as he's beginning to separate himself by distance, their own what? Mortality is probably being questioned in their own hearts. He can't leave. We're up here. But they had to trust him, right? Let me just pose this question. We'll move on. If you were to say to the people that surround your life that God has spoken to me, Amy, and this is what God is saying, how do the people in your life then respond to you? Is it with confidence? Have you built that rapport, that spiritual rapport with the people in your life that if you say God has spoken to me, they look at you with an endorsement in their, their own spirit and say, I have confidence in you. Or do they look at you and say, ah, I'm, no, I'm not so sure you've heard from God. Your life doesn't look like you're hearing from God. And so the question then becomes, what manner of life am I living that I would project onto those in the sphere of my life confidence that I have an ear turned towards God's voice, Ronnie? He says this, I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments I have written for their instruction. Here, let me just throw something out here. We'll move quickly through this. All right. Uh, there, there is a notion, there is a notion. I'm not sure how many of you guys, um, for example, like uh, rabbinical Jews and whatnot, they, they study the, uh, the, the Mishnah and the, and the Talmud. The Mishnah is like a, the written oral law, right? It's been passed down through generations of Jews and whatnot. And then the, the Talmud is like a, a commentary on that. Well, the people uh, who, who, who uh, subscribe to that, Jews who subscribe to that, they believe that the Ten Commandments were literally written on sapphire stone. They literally believe this. And they have reasons. They, they believe that the Ten Commandments were written on blue stone. And they have, they have reasons. Uh, in, in Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel has a vision of God in his throne, and they talk about the foundation of the throne, Right? The psalmist David says the law is the foundation of God's throne. Right? That's what, that's what it says. When they had seen the feet of God, what they had perceived to be the feet of God, he was standing on sapphire stone. As a matter of fact, if we go on and we look into, into Numbers, chapter 15, verse 37, God says to them, to every Jew, to put tassels on their, on their uh, uh, robes, and these tassels were to be a reminder of the law. 
a visual stimulant. When you see these tassels, you remember the law. Well, guess what color the tassels are? Blue. And so, so they, they have this idea that the, the commandments are written on blue sapphire, sapphire, which is one of the hardest stones in the world. That was all free. really has nothing to do with the rest of this sermon. So let's get back on track. All right? But this is what the scripture says. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here. And I will give you tablets of stone with the law and commandments. Law, the ten words, and commandments I have written for their instructions. Do you see what God is doing right here? What I'm about to give you, Moses, I'm the benefactor. Understand that God's the benefactor. We're the beneficiaries. And so was Israel. And he was saying to Moses, I've got something valuable to give to them. To give to them. It was for their instructions. And he said that he had written these, written these on the stone. Now, when you go into Exodus chapter 31, verse 18, it literally says that the commandments were written by the finger of God. I mean, literally, if it is sapphire stone, and that's neither here nor there, the finger of God engraves these commandments and instructions and laws. This is a beautiful sight. In Exodus 31, 18, it says this. When he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written by the finger of God. That's amazing, isn't it? I'm going to tell you, I can't help it. Man. My brain, you know how I am, man. I'm a, I got a little bit of something going on up there where I, I kind of jump around a whole lot of places. But when I read that scripture about the inscription and how God's finger engraves upon this stone his laws and his commandments and his instructions, that's a whole lot to put on a couple of tablets, isn't it? So understand it was a lot more than what you and I just conceive and think of when we think of the Ten Commandments. Or the instructions of God. But when I think of the finger of God engraving that, my mind automatically moves all the way into the New Testament. All the way to John chapter 10. Where the teachers of the law and the Pharisees bring a woman caught in adultery to Jesus. And they're quoting the law to the law writer. What a... Crazy, crazy notion. And they say to the law writer, being Jesus, this is what the law says. Moses commanded us that a woman caught in adultery would be stoned to death. Should be, what say you? First of all, that's not what the law says. And Jesus knows what the law says. Why does he know what the law says? He wrote the law. What the law said was that the man who was caught in adultery would pay the same penalty as the woman caught in adultery. But listen, Jack, we've already went through all the case laws. We've already studied all these things. And we understand here at TDC about the mercy of God 
and the heart of the law about the protection, about, about God bringing healing to his people. It wasn't about ending life. It was about securing life with his, with his children. So what does Jesus do? When these people are, are trying, the scripture says that they're trying to trap him, Kelly. All of a sudden, in John chapter 10, we have this moment where Jesus bends to the ground and the same finger begins to write in the dirt that had engraved into the sapphire stones on Mount Sinai. I believe the full law of God, what the law really required, and the heart of the law, which would have been mercy. Why do I think that? Because Jesus gave her mercy. And he stood up to those, and he said to, to them who was willing to stone her, who had misinterpreted, misused, twisted the law, he said, he without sin cast the first stone. That's what he said, wasn't it? You know what Jesus could have said? One of y'all, one of you guys, give me your stone. Because I can cast it. I can cast it. But none of you can cast it. And they all fall out, right? And then Jesus looks at the woman and says, hey, where are your accusers? Right? She said, they're not here. And the hand, the finger writer, the engraver, says, neither do I condemn you. Free. I wonder if she looked at him and said, free. He says, no, go and sin no more. That's what he says. Go and leave this life of sin. And so here he is, God engraving with his finger and Jesus. Oh, the continuity and the beauty of the scripture and how it's woven together, Jay, is a beautiful thing. And then the scripture says, says this. He said, I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments I have written for their instruction. Now, that finger that wrote all that out, the crazy thing about it, Jeremiah, is that they had already had the law written down. Do you realize that? Do you remember when Moses, he comes down? He has written out the law. He had written out the commandments. Remember this? Because those were the things that he proposed to the children of Israel regarding what? It was a proposal, literally a marriage proposal. It was a covenant extension. He was putting it out. God was literally, through the words written by Moses, he was literally asking them, will you come into a marriage covenant with me? So when Moses documents every bit of this, all he's giving the people are vows. And they consummate it. They shed the blood. And then what does God do? He engraves it on stone with his very finger as a permanent declaration that this thing is fused together permanently engraved. Listen, when my wife and I got married, we, um, now you got to give us some grace, okay? Okay? 
Look, look, every time I go to say that, Carrie, boy, she's covering her face back here. She's about to step out of the sanctuary. That, yeah, she's scared. Yeah, buckle down, Carrie. I remember Carrie and I got married. This guy, he, he did the service. We signed the marriage certificate and whatnot, and we were excited as a young married couple. So, you know, we left everybody behind, and we started our marriage, Right? I don't know, about probably eight, nine, ten years later, we're fumbling through that junk drawer that we talked about last week. And I look down at that junk drawer, and all of a sudden there's my wedding license, marriage license. Never been sent in. Sitting there. Now, we've been married under God, but we've been adulterous in the eyes of the state. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? Now, God, we were innocent. But old John Y. Brown, whoever was up there at the time, Martha Lee, whoever it might have been, they may have looked at us with a little bit of crooked eye. And I looked at that marriage license, and I, I showed her, we better get this turned in. <laughs> I'm preaching, you're singing about God, and we packing this thing. We illegal. We're, we're, we're like a George Clooney. Oh, brother, we, we, we're not what? Bonafide. That's right. You know what God was doing when he engraved it on stone? This covenant, bona fide. It's bona fide. When I think of God in the stone and the engraving, I think of Jesus. I think it's in Mark chapter 6 he's referred to as a carpenter. In Matthew he's referred to as the carpenter's son. We understand the cultural dynamic there, meaning a, a descendant would take upon the skill of the father and it would carry on through the family. One of the misnomers we have within Western culture is the idea that a carpenter is a woodworker, Right? And, and don't we think carpenter, brother? We think about builders. Eh? We think about framing up a house, fixing a fence. We think it's carpentry. Well, the reality, that probably wasn't the case. As a matter of fact, I've, I've got it written down here. The word for carpenter is tectone. It means a craftsman or an artisan. More than likely, Jesus was a stonemason, kind of like his father like to work in stone, right? 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 As a matter of fact, when you look into the New Testament, in 49 different verses, the term stone is used. You don't find in the scripture Jesus building stuff out of wood. I would suggest to you that he was probably a stone worker, carpenter in that sense, right? And when I think about that, I think about what Peter said. When, and Peter says this in chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. He said, now do you, you do know who Peter is. You remember Simon, son of Barjona, right? Right, Simon, who was later named what? Peter, Cephas, right? Which means the rock. Stone working, right? Stone mason, right? Peter, the rock. Later says of Jesus, he says, and as you come to him, the living stone, right, 
rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, a house built of stones, right? Right? I kind of connect it all in my mind, and my mind is a little crazy and sometimes a little disruptive to me, to you, to everyone else. But when I think of God as this divine stonemason, I think of his most precious work to be found in the words of the prophet Ezekiel. When the master stonemason does something that you wouldn't anticipate a stonemason to do, this is what the prophet Ezekiel says. I will give them, this is prophetic, an undivided heart. I will put in, I will put a new spirit in them. And I will remove from their heart of stone. I will remove them from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. That's what the stonemason was doing. Engraving, removing, he had his hands all over stones, creating and building. You and I should, should have in our spirits an eternal gratitude to the divine stonemason, the one who can work in stone, work out of stone, build with stone, remove stone. I remember having a stony heart, Kellen. I remember the transition when the stonemason took hold of that thing and removed it and placed in me what Ezekiel said. See, I wonder if Ezekiel was thinking about Trent. I wonder if he could see that clear when he saw the great exchange happening between the stony heart and the heart of flesh. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide. We're going to close. And Moses went up on the mountain and he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and her. Remember, Aaron and her were the ones that were holding the arms of Moses up. Y'all realize that, right? And they were holding the arms of Moses up while there was a young captain of the military, if you allow me that liberty, named Joshua, who was out there fighting the Amalekites. Right? So all three of these characters have previous references to him. And he says, Aaron and her are with you, and if anyone, uh, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. Now, we're going to close with Joshua, okay? Because it's significant. Because what we know, some 40 years later, Joshua is leading Israel, and it's no longer Moses, right? Right? As a matter of fact, in Exodus 17, after they defeat the Amalekites, you remember what God said to Moses? He said to them, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. Everything that took place, the prayer, the intercession. And he says to them, make sure that Joshua hears it. Right? In Exodus chapter 33, we get a little look into this cat named Joshua. It says, as Moses went into the tent, this was Moses' tent. It's called the tent of meeting. It's where the Spirit of God would meet with the people. Right? 
It says, as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would, would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face. Face to face. As one speaks to a friend. He lived in a tent. It was a mundane place. And he would meet with God there. And he would speak with him there. God came down. God came. His presence came. And he would speak to him face to face as with a friend. But we're talking about Joshua, aren't we? Then Moses would return to the camp. But guess who wouldn't? But his young age, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Some translations will say and imply he would not go outside the tent. He stayed inside, not just at the tent, but inside the tent. And he was witnessing what no one else was witnessing. He saw the exchange, I do believe, between Moses and God. Maybe not being able to see God's face as Moses did, but he knew what was happening in there. He knew the conversations were being had between a man and God as though they were just friends. Now how important was that? It becomes extremely important when you get into Joshua chapter 1, and this is what the scripture says in verse 5 and 6. Listen to me, church. No one will be able to stand against you. This is God speaking to Joshua after the death of Moses. Moses is done. Joshua is now taken over. And he says, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. And this is what God says to Joshua. Get this. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Well, what sense does that make unless he knows how God was with Moses? And how would he know how God was with Moses except he was there experiencing the exchange? So from this point moving forward, as God was with Moses speaking to him as a friend, he says to Joshua, just like I was with him, I will be with you. And you know what he says after that? I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then he says four other words to Joshua. And he says this to him multiple times in chapter one. Be strong and courageous. So let's just close with that. You and I both need people in our lives who love God, who love us. Joshua was an aide to Moses for 40 years. Do you think he actually thought he was going to end up running this thing? Or was he just serving diligently because God had called him to be an aide, man, a servant? God may be calling you and God may be calling me to fill that role 
a servant to another, an aid to another, to come alongside another, to be encouraged by and to encourage another. But we got to understand that God's got a bigger plan. And I would say to some of you this morning, I know this to be true of myself, had not God brought people into my life that would pull me close and walk with me, when I got to the place that I'm at now, bearing whatever responsibility that I bear now, I would not have been able to do it. I saw how God was with them, Daniel. I saw how God was faithful. I saw how God had provided. I saw how God had opened doors. I saw how God had loved through them. And so then I come into that situation and I can expect God being who God is to show himself the same way. I will be to them or to you, Trent, just like I was to them. I'm no respecter of persons type dynamic. We need to surround ourselves. We need to surround. Listen, you need people in your life that are going to build you up in your spirit. That's going to encourage you in the word. You got to have it, man. You got to have it. You can't have takers all the time. You literally cannot do it. You cannot do it. Because if you surround yourself with no one but takers, you're going to find yourself being taken. And you're going to find yourself completely and utterly exhausted. Exhausted. Every one of us play a role at some juncture in our lives of being givers and receivers. And we need to find people that we can connect to in our lives that God leads us to that will encourage us. You know the people I talk of. The people you gravitate towards when you see them. The people when you encounter them at Walmart three aisles over, man, you go running. You know those people, don't you? I hope you're one of those people for somebody. And in so doing, someone would be that kind of person for you. Stand with me this morning. We didn't make it didn't make it to the end of the scripture but you know what we've got another Sunday coming right yeah we do your heads bowed just for a moment your eyes closed listen when just close your close your eyes and bow your head I, I don't do this isn't a manipulation thing I want you to enter in and I've said this a hundred times in this moment with your eyes closed your heads bowed you you have entered in to a one-man sanctuary, a, a closet in a sense of prayer. No one can enter into that place that you find yourself in now other than you and God. So you're in that place right now. And you've got the ear of God. I would ask you, my brothers and my sisters, those who are followers of Jesus, I would ask you to cry out to your father. Invite him into the regular, everyday activities of your life. Allow him to make the mundane a high place. 
Not by everyone else's standards, but by the simple fact that his presence is in the mundane. Take a moment, just ask him. Because you're going to leave here and you're going to find yourself within a matter of minutes, a matter of hours, in an everyday activity that you've done a thousand times. And it seems as though just time is slipping through your fingers like, like sand through an hourglass, right? Yeah. You would say that that moment has come and gone and it had no value, no purpose, no but it can if you just invite them into that. The next time you mow your grass, the next time you take out trash, the next time you love your neighbor, the next time you wash the dishes, the next time you clean your room, the next time you're faithful to be at work on time. Wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, God can come into that place. God can show himself in the mundane. Father, in Jesus' name, we look at your word, we, we read it, we, we try to understand it. We try to present it. We desire to live it. Oh God, what a beautiful thing it would be to leave a place like this and come back next week and say, oh, with testimony after testimony, oh, how God showed up in the most unlikely of places and done the un most unlikely of things. Oh, what a testimony that would be. I pray that for every man, woman, and child in this church, that that would be their experience this week. In the boredom, you would be invited in and change everything. So, Father, I bless my brothers and sisters. I pray, Father, that you would just speak into our spirit, into our hearts, into our lives. And when you speak, and just like Moses, we would just respond. We love you and we bless you. We thank you, and it's in the name of Jesus. We pray, we ask these things, we gather here in your name. And the sons and daughters of God said amen. 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 God bless you.